1: deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark
0: Levin. Hello America, Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Washington is celebrating its 2.2 trillion dollar spending bill, much of which has nothing to do with stimulus, quite frankly. It's 900 pages or more. Um, let me let me do, let me do it this way. We had 10 years of quantitative easing. Quantitative easing. Remember what that was under Obama, where the Fed was trying to you know, help fund Obama's uh, profligate spending as he was trying to fundamentally transform America. That means the Fed crushed the interest rates almost down to zero, like now. And the printing presses went crazy. They printed and printed and printed, just more liquidity. You always hear this word, we need liquidity, liquidity. Pumped it in, pumped it in, pumped it in. This went on for years. With the election of Donald Trump, now we're going to have trillions of dollars. Forget about the the fiscal side of it, the Congress side, trillions of dollars pumped into the economy. On top of that, by the Fed, this two point two. Trillion dollar spending bill is on top of a federal budget that's about 4.5 trillion. So, right now, that's 6.7, 6.8 trillion dollars. Plus, as Larry Kudlow has, has celebrated and bragged, it's really another 4 trillion because I don't know why he does this, but he, he defines loans as spending. They're different. You're still on the hook for them, but they're different. So that's another $4 trillion. So you're talking about over $10 trillion in one fiscal year. Triggered in one fiscal year. In an economy that's a little over $18 trillion. Now here's the problem. Putting aside everything you've heard, just, let's just do this together. Here's the problem. What happens when all this money, all this printed money is out there, but the production levels are not up? That is, you have governors shutting business. It's really not the president's It's governors shutting businesses. Well, you have a lot of money around, don't you, Mr. Producer? In other words, you have a lot of cash around. So you've got plenty of liquidity. You don't have enough products. What happens, stay with me, what happens when you have more money, a lot more money, I don't mean you personally, but the system has a lot more money chasing fewer products because of these shuttered businesses. Some of you younger folks may not know, Mr. Producer, what happens to the economy then? You don't know. Mr. Call what happens to the economy then? I know, screw it. You get inflation. Inflation. It can be hyper. We don't know. But you get inflation. That means, ladies and gentlemen, the value of the dollar is worth less and less and less. Why? Because there's so many of them floating around. They may not be in your pocket. They may not be in your bank account. But they're out there because the Federal Reserve, through monetary policy, and Congress, through fiscal policy, is spending enormous sums of money for which there is no gold reserve, no silver reserve, and no way to pay it back. Now, what's going to happen one day is you're going to have significant inflation. You'll forget this radio show. You'll forget what I'm saying here. Everybody's focused on the moment. I understand that. But we can focus on the moment and focus on the future. Now this may happen, God willing, if Trump's elected in his second term, this may happen then. It may happen down the road. Nobody can know. Nobody can know. That's why some of us and unfortunately apparently a minority of us i think the vast majority of you but a minority of us with microphones and television cameras are throwing a cautionary flag i think 800 900 billion a trillion dollars of this as i have looked at the at the best i can is understandable I wouldn't have done it the way they did it, because McConnell and Schumer, I I just have so many disagreements with these men. I wouldn't have done it the way they did it. But that's understandable, more understandable. But to go from eight hundred and fifty billion dollars to one trillion, to one point two trillion, to one point eight trillion, to two trillion, and now two point two trillion, is unconscionable. And everyone points to the vote in the Senate. 96 to 0. I want to remind you there was only one senator in the entire United States Senate who voted against the Iran deal. Only one. Tom Cotton. And he was right. And he was right. Now there's different imperatives that are going on here. Different motivations. For the Republicans, they want to jumpstart the economy. For the president, he wants to jumpstart the economy. And so they'll take the good with the bad. The problem is, ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of bad in here. And I don't know why the administration thinks it's a good idea for the federal government to have an equity position. That is an ownership position in the airline industry. Well, Mark, we're loaning them money. Folks, we loan everybody money. Can you imagine the federal government having an ownership position in private industry? Is that wise? This president won't be president forever. They'll be a kook president, like a Bernie Sanders type one day. They'll control the House and the Senate one day. They're going to have an ownership position in a business, an American business. That is Socialism. Not in its purest form, but it's pure enough. Why are we touting that? And I was wrong. It's worse. In some instances, four months, individuals who are furloughed will get 100% of their salary plus $600. So you have individuals who are going to be furloughed or have been, but are going to be, who are going to make more money being unemployed, than they did when they were employed. Now, that's not appropriate. That's not appropriate in a $2.2 trillion bill. That'll stimulate an individual and their families, uh, but, but it doesn't stimulate the economy. If it does, then give them $100,000, Mr. Producer. Give everyone $100,000. Why not? Why draw the line at such measly amount? Let's join the hard left. Give them 50,000, a 100. Give them a universal basic salary. If that's what we're going to do, then go ahead and do it. Now, that's a disaster. What we need is production. Production creates growth, growth creates jobs. Now, part of the problem is we have. States that are shutting down businesses from one end of the state to the other. We've talked about the federal government needs to be more focused and targeted in the use of medical resources and in this financial assistance. That is to people who really need it. We now have much better data, and we're going to get a lot more, and I want to get into that in a minute. You're now hearing the backbenchers. You know, I read these articles. I do a lot of research. I present them to you. They go hunt down the articles and hunt down the writer. That's fine. The more the merrier. Push the message out. Almost two weeks now, I've said, we need to go from a broad brush approach to a focused approach, and the president is saying the same thing, and he's right, and he's under attack for it. The media want this economy shut down. Why, I don't know. They want all of you hold up in your homes and hold up for as long as possible. What do they want? The greatest depression in world history? Because that's what you'll get. These supply lines aren't going to keep working. Grocery shops aren't going to keep getting filled. Farmers can't keep farming. Ranchers can't keep ranching. Or whatever they do. So, I want to take a further whack at this. At the bottom of the hour, we're going to have Stephen Moore on the program. He's been an advisor to President Trump. But I want to add another point here. And I do this even knowing I come under attack because these organizations on the left, I told you what would happen. This Publica piece is a lie. They're funded by Soros and Steyer. Then it's picked up by another and another and another. They have, it's, it's like a, a viper's nest of left-wing websites and phony front group news agencies. Then it winds up on Wikipedia, and that's going on. But I have to be able to discuss the information. I read to you yesterday an article by two Stanford professors. And they insist, and when you read the article, they're right, that the death rate is nothing like what's been talked about since we first learned about this virus, not in the United States. And one of the problems I'm having here is when these these television networks and television stations all day long, all night long, 24-7, are posting numbers on the screen of confirmed cases of the virus, and then below it or next to it, how many deaths in the United States? And you're you're getting that seared into your head. And and then the commentators say things like, Wow, the confirmed cases are really, really going up, and look at the death rate and so forth. So what do you conclude from that? Because that's those are the two categories of, of numbers that you're getting. Confirmed cases and look at the death rate. It's terrible. But it's inaccurate. We don't know how many people in this country have this virus. Of the people who have been tested, we know how many of them have the virus. But we don't know how many people in this country have this virus. It has to be more than the number from those who have been tested. Because the universe is 320 some odd million Americans. And 320 some million some Americans haven't been tested. Maybe three, four, 500,000 have been tested. And of that number, they can confirm 80,000 cases. And the overwhelming majority of numbers of people who have this is unknown. We talked about that. We talked about the denominator. So, the CDC, which screwed up the tests in the first place, the World Health Organization, Johns Hopkins, all these cable networks, all these television networks, all these so called experts who are commenting on these numbers, have no idea what the death rate is in this country. None whatsoever. Because we don't know how many people in this country have this virus, or even had this virus. But the death rate has to be lower than what you're being told. And the insinuation by this constant graphic on the monitor is quite misleading. And the commentary related to it is quite misleading even though it says confirmed cases, and then it has death next to it, number of deaths, that is nebulous, that is ambiguous at best. Confirmed cases does not reflect the actual number of cases of people with the virus. It's much more than the confirmed cases. It has to be. And so the number of deaths Is a much, much smaller percentage of those who come down with the virus. By the way, again, for the 4,000th time, a life is a life. I believe in human life. I'm opposed to abortion. We can save a human life. I am all for it. This is a serious illness. I get it. Trust me, we all do. How can you not? But you still got to look at the facts. If they're going to give us numbers, then look at the numbers. Plus, and I've asked this now for a week, how are they determining who dies as a result of this virus and who dies not as a result of this virus? I'll be right back. Much love in. I've been talking a lot about the four pillars or purposes of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. We focus quite a bit on the first pillar of learning. But what about character? Learning the right things to the point where you truly know them is a rigorous business. It isn't possible without strong character. Hillsdale's great president, Larry Arnn, and his outstanding faculty at Hillsdale know that intellectual virtue is meaningless without moral virtue. That having knowledge doesn't mean much if you don't use what you know to serve the good, however possible. And here's an outstanding fact. Every entering freshman at Hillsdale signs an honor code that reads as follows. A Hillsdale College student is honorable in conduct, honest in word and deed, dutiful in study and service, and respectful of the rights of others. Through education, the student rises to self-government. Now, to learn more, visit LevinforHillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. LevinforHillsdale.com. These extreme predictions you've been hearing from the experts, from the TV hosts, from the commentators, have been wrong. They've been wrong. 1%, 2%, 3%, 4% of the people who get this virus are going to die. It's not true. It was never true. It's not true. It was never true. Over 99% of the people who get this virus are going to live. Now, I actually saw a host today when the number of confirmed cases of the virus shot up They said, this is not good. Ladies and gentlemen, we're doing more tests. The numbers are going to go up. They're going to go up a lot. Of course it's not good when people get a virus. It's bad. But what does it mean in terms of the mortality rate? It means the mortality rate. It doesn't help the individuals who pass or their families. I understand that but it means the mortality rate is going to plummet. I'll be right back. I've been talking a lot about the four pillars or purposes of the Hillsdale College mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. We focus quite a bit on the first pillar of learning, but what about character? Learning the right things to the point where you truly know them is a rigorous business. It isn't possible without strong character. Hillsdale's great president, Larry Arnn, and his outstanding faculty at Hillsdale know that intellectual virtue is meaningless without moral virtue, that having knowledge doesn't mean much if you don't use what you know to serve the good, however possible. And here's an outstanding fact. Every entering freshman at Hillsdale signs an honor code that reads as follows. A Hillsdale College student is honorable in conduct, honest in word and deed, dutiful in study and service, and respectful of the rights of others. Through education, the student rises to self-government. Now, to learn more, visit LevinForHillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. LevinForHillsdale.com.
1: They can clone the others, but there's only one, Mark Levin, and you can call him at 877-381-3811.
0: All right, we have a special guest. He's an economist at the Heritage Foundation. He's been an advisor to, uh, to Donald Trump, President Trump. Steve Moore, how are you, my friend?
2: Hi, Mark, doing well. The, the stock market went way, way up today. So this is two days in a row of, of, a, of a really strong uh, signal that people are feeling better about things. And it started when Donald Trump announced that he wanted to reopen the, the economy.
0: Well, it's at least a signal that uh, Wall Street is very excited. So let me let me ask you a question, Steve Moore. I'm all for opening parts of the country and the economy. That's for sure, and we'll yeah. get into that. Uh, I want to talk about this 2.2 trillion dollar bill that started at 850 billion dollars, and a week later is 2.2 trillion dollars. Is this a wise use of money we don't have?
2: <laughs> well, they, the question sort of a- answers itself, doesn't it? I, and by the way, for $2.2 trillion, we could eliminate the entire personal income tax and corporate income tax on every worker, family, and business in America. So, you know, people who need to, you know, do the calculation. What would be better for the economy if no business or worker had to pay income tax or this aid package? Uh The size kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Shame on Nancy Pelosi. By the way, if this is an aid package with urgent money for businesses and workers, why is it taking so long to get this done? This should have been done 10 days ago, Mark. Uh, I like the loans to the businesses because we can't allow small businesses to fail. We had so many, you know, 25 million healthy businesses A month ago, many of them are struggling right now. We want to give them a bridge loan so they can get through this and so they can be up and running by the time we get the economy moving again.
0: Well, that's fine, but that's not most of this bill, is it?
2: (laughs) Right. So the other part, I mean, the thing that I find the most objectionable in this bill Uh, I don't have a problem with giving people $1,200. It certainly wouldn't be my first choice, but at least that gives money so so people can get through this and they can put food on the table and pay their mortgages. And a lot of families are going to need that because it was, after all, the government that shut down the economy. But I'll tell you what I find outrageous, Mark, and if I were Donald Trump, I think I would veto the bill because of this one provision insisted upon by Nancy Pelosi, uh, which is four months, four months of paid uh, leave essentially for workers and unemployment compensation that that in some get this mark in some states in some cases workers can get more money from the government by not working than by going back we to the
0: we, we spent a lot of time on this yesterday and yes. my callers were furious about
2: yes this. they should be
0: and by and by the way steve moore my callers my listeners the vast majority are furious with this bill they don't believe it should cost $2.2 million to help our neighbors and help small businesses and all businesses to, uh, to get through this. And when they hear of this profligate spending and borrowing and that it's, well, it's actually $6 trillion, our friend Larry Kudlow says, because of the loans that, that the Fed is going to push into the system and quote-unquote the liquidity, I can tell you from truck drivers to a wife of a butcher yeah. to a police officer to a nurse, they're smart. They said, this is crazy.
2: Well, they're right. This is crazy. You know, what started out to be a $1 trillion bill, uh, it's amazing that in seven or eight days it went from $1 trillion to $2.2 $2 There is outrageous spending in here. I've heard your uh, show over the last couple of days. You've talked about this. There's money for the National Endowment for the Arts and Corporation for Public Broadcasting. As you know, Nancy Pelosi wanted to put funding for the uh, Planned Parenthood and other programs uh, like that. They wanted to do the green... Uh, the Green Energy New Deal program in this. Uh, so it is an outrage, and we can't be proud of it. Uh, and the worst thing is it's not a stimulus bill. That's the other thing, Mark. I'm so sick and tired of the media and the politicians calling this a stimulus bill. As Milton Friedman taught us, you don't stimulate the economy by printing money, and you don't stimulate the economy by having the government send out checks to people.
0: You stimulate it by production, correct?
2: That's right. Well, and so the pre- right, and and so
0: Go ahead. And so the president oh, is trying to do that.
2: That's why what he said uh, last week is so critical. That if we have a twenty trillion dollar American economic engine, the greatest engine of growth in the history of the world. Donald Trump had had firing on all cylinders uh, before the the, uh, the virus hit. We need to get back to that. Uh, there's no way. It doesn't matter how many checks the government writes or how many trillions of dollars the Fed prints, if people aren't producing anything, there's nothing for people to consume. This is the first rule of economics. And yet uh, these, uh, these pinheads in Washington don't seem to understand that if you've got tens of millions of people not working, and by the way, Mark, you know today we had the numbers three million, three some, 3 million people signed up for unemployment insurance, and people said, are you surprised about that? I said, no. I mean, when you shut down 40% of the economy or 50%, guess what? People are going to be unemployed. And and that number is, if we don't get the economy opened up soon, um, Mark, you're not talking about 3 million people applying for unemployment insurance, you're talking about 30 million.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And here's the thing, uh, Steve Moore. It's the governors in these key states with heavy populations that are shutting down businesses and then they're running to the federal government demanding to be made whole.
2: But um, so this, this is ahead. a key point, Mark, This is I'm so glad you brought this up, because what is going on now, this is really important for your listeners to understand. So we have some great Republican governors around the country, like Ron DeSantis and others, uh, Greg Abbott in Texas, who are holding firm, they're under incredible pressure from the media and the left to do what New York is doing, which is shut down their economy. And these Governors are being very courageous, saying, no, wait a minute, we're not going to shut down our economy. By the way, these other states don't have nearly the problem that New York and California have. But I tell you, they're getting just whipsawed in the media. And people live in Florida and Texas and Nebraska, you should be calling your governor and say, hold firm. Stick to your guns on this, because they're doing the right things. And New York probably, you know, I think half of the cases are in New York. Yes. You know that, Mark?
0: Yes, over half. Yep. Yep.
2: So why should Idaho and Iowa and Nebraska have to shut down?
0: But even when you look at New York, New York's a pretty big state. Every part of New York is not New York City. So what's happening mostly is in the metropolitan New York City area, which is horrible. Don't get me wrong. But why would you shut down the whole state? Look at California. California is a huge state, geographically and otherwise. Why are you shutting down Parts of Central California, the breadbasket, they say, the country in many respects. Why are you shutting them down?
2: Well, can you answer me another question? How yes. is it that the left is acting like uh, Andrew Cuomo is the great hero of America, and yet, wait a minute, he's the governor of the state that has half of the cases? Gee, he's done a wonderful job containing this. Uh, Trump's, meanwhile, Trump's approval rating is, I've seen, 58, 60%, an all time high. And people feel assured by this guy because he's a business. This is why we elected the guy, right? He's not a politician, he's a businessman. And thank God that we have Donald Trump as president. Can you imagine if, if Joe Biden were president? Oh,
0: my right Lord. Now? Or Cuomo. Let me, let me tell you something. And I don't, want, my audience heard me say this, but let me just summarize this. Every every state, but in New York in particular, was the earliest to adopt the certification of needs laws. It is New York, and the buck stops with the governor, that decided how many beds are needed in New York, how many ICU beds are needed in New York, how many ventilators are needed in New York. This was never a top priority for Andrew Cuomo. He had a report on his desk that said we cannot handle a pandemic, and look, Steve, in all honesty— it's very, very difficult, a pandemic. As I, you can't resource up for a pandemic every day. But that said, <clears throat> he had opportunities to increase his beds, to increase the ventilators, to increase the number of hospitals. And he didn't. And he didn't. And now he's talking about nationalizing industries. And today he said this $2.2 trillion bill is not enough. It's not enough. How do you respond to somebody like this?
2: Well, I guarantee you, you heard it first on the Mark Levin show, in two or three weeks, Congress is going to come back for more money.
0: Well, I listen to me. You. you didn't hear it on the Mark Levin show. You heard it out of Nancy Pelosi's mouth. <laughs>
2: That's right. Yeah, they're already saying, you know, after this, two, incidentally, think about this, ladies and gentlemen. We already had a trillion-dollar budget deficit. Now we've just added two or three trillion, and they want to add another one or two trillion. And we're talking about deficits— that uh, are larger than the economies of most countries in the world. Five, six trillion, we've never seen anything like this. Now, this is why it is so important. I keep circling back to this. You can't keep a $20 trillion economy shut down. I, I, don't, I think it was uh, Warren Harding said, the business of America is business. We Americans want to go back to work. Trump is right about that. We want to be on the job. Uh, you know, I'm in Washington D.C. today. It, it's it was a beautiful, you know, spring day. And what are people doing? They're out on their bikes. They're out. They're getting out outside. And the government's telling them they that you know they're in a lockdown situation. The American people want to work. The businesses want to get up and running. They just need the government to let them do it.
0: Now you're an economist. You're a very good economist. What happens when you print trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars, and you don't have an a a, a significant increase in production?
2: Well, of course, you know, hopefully everyone knows the answer to that question, except the politicians, which is, it's very simple. You have inflation. Inflation is too many dollars chasing too few goods. Remember that from high school economics, too many dollars chasing too few goods. That's what we're going to have. Now, I've got to be clear on this. We don't have any inflation in the system right now, but if this keeps up, When you and I talk uh, three or four or five months from now, we're going to be talking about this inflation problem, or else you're going to be just talking about there's nothing on the shelves to buy. We're going to be like the Soviet Union. Yeah, we passed out all these dollars, but you have to wait in line for two hours to get anything, and the the shelves are going to be empty because nobody's producing anything. I can't tell you how many businessmen and women, Mark, I have talked to in the last week who say, we want to get up and running. All we need, and why not let the businessmen and women decide themselves rather than have the politicians tell well, them? Well, especially,
0: especially if you're not in an area where the data shows right. that this is not, an, a, 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 not a huge issue. Now, I want to give you an example of this, Steve. I want your input on this I'm In the country. Uh, I spoke to my dentist today. I was curious to know because they deal literally with saliva all the time. I said, what's going on? And in Virginia. Well, Northam has shut them down except for in cases of emergency. I said, Well, how are you handling this? He said, Look, Mark, we have a number of full time, part time employees, even hourly employees. They mean everything to us. I want to try and keep them. But this bill turns me into an employment agency. I said, What do you mean? I still have to pay my utilities, I still have to pay my lease, I still have to pay for this equipment. I still have to pay our partner. I still have to pay malpractice insurance. I've got to run a business that's not running. And the loans are being used for the most part, and we don't even know the conditions of the loans, how much we're going to have to pay back and what we're going to have to pay back. We're trying to get our CPA firm involved. The the whole driving point is I'm now in business to employ people who aren't working. He said this is what I'm spending my time on.
2: And that you could tell that story a million times over. I mean, okay, so how
0: it. do you how do you how do you create a robust economy after this, if really so much of this the Democrats have advanced their agenda, which is you're in business to hire people, not in business to produce things, create wealth, and then hire people.
2: Well, that's a great question. It's why we have to get businesses up and look revenues, revenues, uh, and profits. are are what create a business they're the oxygen source for businesses and if they don't have it they die and the government can give them some temporary aid but the fact is you need to have customers You have to have revenues coming in or you have to shut your doors. And what's really important now is once we get to that point, whether it's Easter Sunday, which I hope Trump holds firm on that date in many states to open things up, or maybe it's a few weeks after that, we want to make sure the economy is up and running quickly. And that's why I wonder, I mean, I'm not a conspiratorialist, but I wonder why it is Nancy Pelosi insisted on four months of unemployment benefits. She's not stupid. She knows that if you provide that kind of aid, people are not going to go back to work. Uh, is she intentionally trying to undermine the economy? I, I, I'm just asking the question because she can't be that dumb.
0: Uh, honestly, she can. She's, it's probably her advisors telling her to drag it through into the general election. But I don't know. We'll see. But you should be happy, Steve Moore. The Kennedy Center got 25000000 million. Yeah. That'll be exciting. Yeah. So you can go there and watch the ballerinas, I guess.
2: Well, just one one last thing. I know we're running out of time. People are going to listen to this interview, and and the liberals are going, to see, there's Steve Moore and Mark Levin. They don't care about people dying. Yeah, right. three very close friends that have coronavirus, and one of them is on a ventilator and very sick. And and I understand there's real health uh, problems with this, and and my heart bleeds for people who get this, and and it's affected everyone. Everyone knows someone uh, probably has coronavirus. So, of course, we need to take the best public health measures, to keep people safe and, and not sick, but we have to do it in a sound way that allows some of these businesses to open. Maybe you have to isolate some of the senior citizens who are the most vulnerable to this. But there has to be a solution where you calibrate our our, our economy. Our society depends on a functioning economy and public health. Right.
0: Well, let me answer that this way because you're absolutely right. Number one, destroying people's lives economically. Causes all kinds of illnesses, hardships, violence, and God knows what. That's number one. So why would you want to do that? Number two, you're exactly right. And we're not the only ones. You have medical professors and experts at Stanford and Yale now more and more speaking out saying, focus your resources where they need to be focused. Number three, I didn't make the decisions on ventilators and hospitals and hospital beds. Mr. Cuomo did, as did other governors. They're the ones who made those decisions, not you and me, while they were prioritizing their liberal agendas. No, we care about life, whether it's a senior citizen or whether it's an unborn baby. Steve Moore, I want to thank you for your call. my Excuse me. Thank you for your input, my friend. We'll be right back.
1: I've
0: been talking a lot about the four pillars or purposes of the Hillsdale College Mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. We focus quite a bit on the first pillar of learning, but what about character? Learning the right things to the point where you truly know them is a rigorous business. It isn't possible without strong character. Hillsdale's great president, Larry Arnn, and his outstanding faculty at Hillsdale know that intellectual virtue is meaningless without moral virtue, that having knowledge doesn't mean much if you don't use what you know to serve the good, however possible. And here's an outstanding fact. Every entering freshman at Hillsdale signs an honor code that reads as follows. A Hillsdale College student is honorable in conduct, honest in word and deed, dutiful in study and service, and respectful of the rights of others. Through education, the student rises to self-government. Now, to learn more, visit LevinForHillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. LevinForHillsdale.com. Issue, ladies and gentlemen, because now the epicenter is New York City. And I asked my brothers and sisters in New York, a state that I love, a city that I love, why didn't Andrew Cuomo order more beds, order more ventilators, allow the construction and expansion of more hospitals and medical facilities, when under the certificate of need law of New York, he and the state are in charge? And they kept the numbers artificially low. Why didn't they make it a priority prior to this pandemic? I told you about the March 2008 Cambridge report that points to a number of states, including New York, and said they're not ready for an influenza pandemic. Well, this is a pandemic. Again, I cut them a little slack because you can't always be prepared for a pandemic. I mean, there's not enough money on the face of the earth for that. But there was no reason... That he shouldn't have at least done a much better job than he did, because he did almost no job. And it is fascinating to me that no one at the New York Times and no one in any major media outlet, and there are a hell of a lot of them in New York City, has done an examination of Andrew Cuomo over the years and his priorities. Why haven't they? Why won't this? I've been bringing this up how long, Mr. Producer? A week now? A week? Why am I bringing this up? Because if we're going to fix these issues, quote-unquote, then we need to know where these things began. I even see hosts on TV attacking Kellyanne Conway, among others, when she points out what de Blasio failed to do, what Cuomo failed to do. Well, what about Trump? He had a slow start. Trump was never in charge of the ventilators, the hospital beds, the ICU beds in the state of New York, or any other state for that matter. I'll be right back. Mark Levin here, our number 877 381 3811. 877 381 3811. China. China. If this is a world war, that is World War Three, I suppose, then who's our enemy? Well, everyone says it's an invisible enemy. It's the virus. Now, that's too easy. I don't mean the virus is easy. That's too easy a characterization. Then we need to have a world war against cancer, which kills 600,000 Americans a year. That puts things in context, doesn't it? We need to have a war, I guess, a world war against heart disease. A world war against car accidents. No, no, no. It's a war against this virus. But who? Who is responsible for this virus spreading the way it has spread? Who is responsible for the unemployment here? Who is responsible for the amount of resources that are having to be poured into these hospitals? Who is responsible for the illnesses and virus-related deaths in this country? Who is responsible for shutting down our businesses? Who is responsible now for a $2.2 trillion bill that has unleashed socialism in this country? And I'll get to this later, where Nancy Pelosi and other Democrats are saying, oh, this is great, but we're going to have two or three more of these. Can you imagine? The communist regime in China is responsible for what's happening to our country and many other countries. In specific, it's fascistic dictator Xi Jinping. He's responsible. I don't know why the president keeps calling him a friend. Are we in the middle of a war? Well, then who's the enemy? This virus was unleashed on these countries This virus was unleashed on America because Xi Jinping and those communist bastards didn't let us know about it early enough. And they wouldn't let our experts get over there to figure out what the hell was going on. Why aren't people angry about this? Xi Jinping and the communist regime in China has done more damage to this country than the Soviet Union. More damage to this country than the Soviet Union ever did to this country. And it's time to stop playing footsie with this guy. Don't get me wrong. I think our president's been tougher on China than anybody. But we need to get tougher. We're not tough enough. We're not tough enough that regime, because of its own conduct, because of its own concern for its own power, is responsible for what's going on in our country. I don't give a damn what our media think. The same media that covered up the Holocaust, the same media that covered up Stalin and his forced starvation of the Ukrainians, I don't need to listen to them. I don't get my moral direction from the American media, nor should you. Don't call it the China virus. Idiots, morons, pathetic jokes. I guess we should call Xi Jinping Trump. Then they'll really attack the guy, right? But he's not our friend. He's a brutal... Methodical, mechanical, cold-blooded mass murderer. That's why he didn't tell us, because he didn't give a damn. Look at the heartache that this man has created. He may destroy our economy. Soviet Union couldn't do that. We destroyed their economy. And all of this gets lost in the discussion because, again, the left tells us what we can and cannot talk about. Xi Jinping is not our friend. In fact, he's our enemy. He's our enemy. And while these members of Congress are sitting on their fat asses in the House and in the Senate trying to figure out how to, blind, how to steal us blind, how to rob the future from our children and grandchildren, how to put their constituent groups on boards of corporations, how to steal the vote the way they do in California all over the country, how to give money to the Kennedy family through the Kennedy, what the hell is it called? The Kennedy Center for the Arts, of course. Not directly to the family, but it is named after him. I can assure if it was named after Reagan, they wouldn't be sending money over there. It's time that China become part, a regular part of this discussion. We've been talking about it here day in and day out, night after night. We've been talking about how our American so-called media... Digest the propaganda put out by the enemy, and then regurgitates it. You know, we used to have somebody called Tokyo Rose out there, and this was an individual who broadcast from Japan and tried to uh, dispirit the American GI with her propaganda. Well, you know what? Our media are filled with these propagandists who try to dispirit this country, try to undermine the president and walk lockstep too often with our enemies. Now, what are we going to do about this with China? And I'm not talking about irrational, yeah, we ought to do this. No. They need to be punished. Look at the toll this is taking in our country, the human toll, the financial toll, the human dislocation, the the economic dislocation. Look at it! What are we going to do about it? It's not enough. It's not enough to say that China can no longer be the main source of our pharmaceutical production. That's one industry. And by the way, immediately they threatened to cut us off. Did you notice that? They threatened to cut us off. They tried to blackmail us. They put out word that the American military was responsible for this. But don't worry. That was a lower level ambassador. Nobody says anything over there unless Chairman Nudnik is aware of it. He's in charge of propaganda. He doesn't get a pass. Not on this show. Not by me. The enemy is the enemy. This is either a world war or it's not. And it does, I, don't, I don't mean a shooting world war. China has accomplished something that is incredibly diabolical. They're shrinking our economy. They're harming our industries. They're shutting down our businesses. They're putting our people out of work. They're driving up our debt. They're empowering the left-wing socialist nuts in our Congress. Should we just turn the other cheek? No. So what needs to be done here, and it's so rational, which means it'll be stopped by the Democrats and the rhinos, slash taxes and slash regulations to draw all our companies or most of them back to the United States or at least to allies like India or whatever, so they get the hell out of China. No subsidies, no loans, no nothing for companies from here forward that invest in China. Nothing. Because this is a national security issue. It is a vital national security issue. It is a human issue. It is an economic issue. By conducting itself the way it did, this Communist regime under Xi Jinping, our friend, has done more damage to this country. I want to repeat this so the backbenchers can hear it and repeat it. Has done more. Well, McConnell, get the hell off TV, you joke. Get out of the way, you jerk. Anyway, it's a proud moment for the United States Senate, the guy says. Jesus. All right, let me go on. China. China is our enemy. If this is a world war, they're our enemy. This virus didn't come here on its own. You know, we still don't know all we need to know about what happened in China. It's amazing. There are theories about this livestock market. There's theories about a lab. There's theories about this. We're theorizing. You would think With this pandemic all over the world, you would think with these left-wing, phony, billionaire-funded websites that attack the president, that attack me, that you would think they would be focusing on China. You would think that Chuck Todd, that Jake Tapper, that one of these clowns would show some interest in this. Try somehow to get to the bottom of this. Talk to the Chinese ambassador to the United States. Do something. But no. They just put charts on TV. And you're not doing enough, America. You're not doing enough. Got to do more. And of course, the president's the the problem, you see. You watch Joe Scarborough, who who is an evil SOB. That's what he is. And so many of them. World War III, we're told this, is a world war against a virus. Got it. But that includes the country and the communist regime that by its own malpractice, it's not even malpractice, by its own intentional conduct, wound up unleashing it on the world and on my and your country. I'll be right back. Well, I, I'm sorry to be the bearer of this news to you, but I just heard Mitch McConnell, when he was questioned about Pelosi and others, saying we may need further stimulus, so-called bills, said we shall see. We shall see? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what we need. Here's Nancy Pelosi today at her briefing. She's sort of a Joe Biden in a dress. Cut three, go.
3: This is an emergency, a challenge to the conscience as well as... Well, if it's
0: an emergency and a challenge to the conscience, then why did you block it for a week, you idiot? Because you wanted more money for Planned Parenthood to perform abortions. Why did you block... Why did you block it? Her own words don't even make sense. Start from the top, Mr. Producer. Cut three. Go.
3: This is an emergency, a challenge to the conscience, as well as the budget of our country. And every dollar that we spend is an investment in the lives and the livelihood of the American Uh, people. No, it's
0: not. That's a lie. Every dollar in this $2.2 trillion bill is not an investment in the lives and livelihood of the American people. It simply is not. Go ahead. We can go bigger. We can go bigger? Bigger than this? This is the problem, ladies and gentlemen. And you can thank the Republicans, too. They just threw the doors open to the Treasury. And the Secretary of the Treasury is pretty well okay with that. Everybody's celebrating this bill. It's the biggest bill we've ever had, ladies and gentlemen. And it's not big enough maybe we'll have a fourth so-called stimulus or maybe a fifth so-called stimulus cuz these stimuli are really catching on i know i'm the only one i understand it i'm the only one nationally so be it go ahead
3: see so you now the interest rates are even lower than the ta- at the time of the tax scam so
0: so it's a tax scam when you get to keep your money She is a sicko. She would have done great on the Politburo in the old Soviet Union. I'm not kidding. So when you get to keep some of your money, it's a tax scam. But when they take your money and spend it on stuff, that's the conscience of the nation. Go ahead.
3: It isn't even – it's like I gave you a dime for a cup of coffee. It doesn't cost a dime anymore. It costs much more. Let's recognize that. Reality. I, have no, no. <laughs> I
0: have no idea what that idiot is talking about, do you? Then they drag out Richard Blumenthal, sort of the Grim Reaper. Here's what he had to say. So now, by the way, so now this is the mantra among the Democrats. And now McConnell didn't put it didn't kill it. What he said is, we shall see if we need more. We shall see? Go ahead, cut four. You know, we're not going to let the enemy, uh, we're not going to let the perfect be the enemy of the good. We know that there is an urgency here. We're going to get this package done. The point is to get it done quickly, but get it done right. Still, it won't be perfect. And my view is, There may may well be a need for a fourth package, maybe even a fifth package. We ought to be prepared to vote, if necessary, maybe remotely. Uh, I'm prepared to come back to Washington if necessary. Wow, what a hero. By way of Vietnam, no doubt about it. Fourth package, maybe a fifth package, ladies and gentlemen. Let me tell you what these people are doing. They're going to destroy the economy on the out years. They're going to destroy it. Your savings will be worthless. Forget about the stock market. Your pension will be worthless. They're going to destroy the currency. Some people are acting out of fear, mostly the Republicans. Some people are acting out of diabolical purposes, that is, to advance their agenda, most of the Democrats. There are no moderate Democrats left. There are no fiscally responsible anybody left. This is amazing. A week ago, if I said we're going to spend a trillion dollars to try and stimulate the economy, protect our workers, protect our businesses, that would have been rational, a trillion dollars. Now we're 2.2, maybe we need a fourth, maybe we need a fifth. The doors are wide open, ladies and gentlemen. They're wide open. And I may lose audience, God knows. I may lose some of you. But I'm going to still continue to stand here. I want to save as many human beings here as possible. I want as many to go back to work as possible. I want our businesses to come back. This is all very, very destructive. I'll be right back.
4: Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free to play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery.
1: Mark Levin, calling now at 877 381
0: 3811. All right, let's go to some of the callers. We have the best and smartest audience in all of broadcasting here, or you wouldn't be here. And we have so many great callers. Let's go to Robin, Canton, Georgia, on the Mark Levin app. Robin, you're on the air. Go right ahead, please. Hi, Mark. Hi. Um,
4: I want to give your listeners. And I, tonight, you can rest easy. You've just um, talked to your biggest fan. Thank you. Um, I um, want to give your listeners a real life situation of how. But,
0: but but I have to tell you something. My really really biggest fan. May I tell you this? Is my mother in law.
4: No way. It cannot be.
0: <laughs> and 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 my wife debates with them who's the biggest fan. But my mother in law is honestly my biggest fan. No, no, I love all my fans. You're magnificent, but you get my point. Go right ahead.
4: I I do get your point. I get your point. Um, I have a real-life situation uh, where the stimulus unemployment benefit package is going to have disastrous effects. It already affects us. Um, Our grandson is three years old, and he attends an autism therapy center, and it closed temporarily two weeks ago.
1: -hmm. Well,
4: at that time, the therapists there, who are mostly millennials, Mm -hmm. and they are great at their job, don't get me wrong, but they were all begging for work. And so the owner there decided that she would ask the families if you were interested in having therapists come and do in home visits, then we will do that. Insurance was going to cover it, it was going to be great. So the girls came last week, and they came part of this week. None of those girls ever expressed any concerns over the coronavirus whatsoever. I was always scrubbing. And, and
0: keep down. in mind, they're millennials, so they don't have a great concern, to be perfectly honest with you. Go ahead.
4: So they never even they would just kind of laugh when I would take their tent. And I said, this is for your benefit, just because I don't want you to feel like, you know, you're mm-hmm. going to. But they they were not interested in me even talking about it. They weren't concerned at all. So this morning, all of a sudden, I guess, because they're um, I told my husband it was their socialist human nature took over. And they all decided that they're all overly concerned about contracting the coronavirus. So they're all getting laid off and going to collect uh, unemployment benefits. And I told the owner there, this is probably, this can go on 20 weeks in Georgia plus 13, 33 weeks. They could ride that out 33 weeks because even though she may call them back, and and I've still got concerns about the coronavirus, whatever. So... My concern is, I don't know how she would ever get them. No, no, no. Here's
0: what's going to happen now. They're going to get four months, four months, 100% of what they were getting paid, up to $1,100 a week. And in some states, they'll get a few hundred dollars more. Because they've heard, or a lot of people have heard, That they can get four months, if they're furloughed, or if they can't go to work for one reason or another, as you're saying, they can get four months pay on the federal taxpayer, 100% of what they would otherwise get paid, in some states more, depending on how they handle their unemployment insurance, up to $1,100 a week. Plus, plus they're going to get $1,000, excuse me, $1,200 If they earn less than seventy-five grand, which they certainly will, because they're going to be unemployed, so they get the thousand bucks—excuse me, the twelve hundred bucks—plus the four months full pay. That's why they didn't go to work. And I keep bringing this up and bringing this up, and it's you must be heartless, or you must be this, or you must be that, and I try to explain to people. Good comes out of these, these crises, and bad comes out of these crises. But if you're going to tell somebody that this is a great bill, that this is a great benefit, that we want to help the workers, and you should take advantage of it, these people are truly taking advantage of it, aren't they?
4: Oh, in, in the most horrid way.
0: So what's going to actually happen is, depending on the situation, the business, the employees, <clears throat> It's actually going to be harder if businesses start to come back to hire new people and to keep them over the next four months. It's going to be harder, depending on the business and depending on the pay scale. And this is what I keep talking about. I, I, I know you're not allowed to bring any sober thinking, rationality, or logic to any of this because it's, oh, you must hate this. One. No, I'm just looking at this. Human beings are human beings, so this is what's going to happen. So, in other words, why should a millennial come to your home, help you with an autistic child, uh, and they're doing that? Well, why should they do that and, from their perspective, maybe get the virus, when they can be effectively furloughed or basically furlough themselves, and for four months, they're going to get their pay? Now, this bill is written by people who don't run businesses. Mitch McConnell's never run a business. Chuck Schumer not only never run a business, he hates business. This is, bill is written by a bunch of eggheads who are staffers on the Finance Committee and the Budget Committee and the Ways and Means Committee and all their committees. And they put all this stuff together. Mitch McConnell was asked about this particular provision and he said, look, you know, if it's not perfect and we want to get everybody back, he couldn't answer it. And he wouldn't answer it. And so maybe we'll get another bill and another bill and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. There are ways, <coughs> excuse me, to help our fellow Americans. We all want to help our fellow Americans. They're our brothers and sisters. They're our citizens. And we'll do anything for our neighbors, our colleagues, our fellow Americans. You have people all over this country. Resources are being fu- pulled. Corporations are being uh, pulling together to help the people in New York to help the people in L.A., to help the people in Seattle, to help the people in San Francisco, to help the people in these metropolitan areas that are hardest hit. We're patriotic people, but we're not a stupid people. We don't want to be ripped off, and we don't want, as the president says, to cure to be worse than the, than the virus at some point. I'm speaking economically now. So that's why they didn't show up. You understand what I'm saying?
4: Yes. Yes, sadly. Sadly, I do.
0: All right, Robin. Thank you, and good luck to you, too. Good luck to you, too. Anthony, Marlborough, New York, the great WABC. Go.
5: Hi, Mark. Uh, Anthony, in Ulster County, New York. I'm a dentist. I'm the upstate version of your Virginia fella. Uh, yes. We're long-time listeners, and, and we thank you for what you do. Thank you. Uh, a couple things. Uh, the... Uh, Upstate New York has been treated like a stepchild for many, many years here. I was born and raised in uh, New York State. I'm 69 years old. I'm going to die here, even though Governor Cuomo doesn't want me here because I've been married to the same woman for 49 years. I've raised my family. I go to church. I pay my taxes, and I vote. He told told us those types of people aren't welcome in New York. Well, I want to tell you, this thing has been a wake-up call. Uh, God bless that uh, President Trump is here. We need to get our antibiotics and all our other pharmaceutical manufacturing back in this country immediately. And it, since 2011, since he's been governor, this uh, state has gone right down the toilet. It's, it's been tough enough to live here and work. And I'm a dentist. I want to get back to work.
0: My Anthony, and, and get- let me tell you something. And you're right on the line there. You're dealing, you, you know, they talk about the, the saliva and so forth. And you're the second one. My dentist says it. You say it. I want to get to work.
5: Mark, we have universal precautions. My office is so clean and and disinfected in there.
0: He says the same thing.
5: I may be jinxing myself. I haven't had a flu shot in six years, and I haven't had had the flu. We have Purell all over the office. We use Cavicide. Our office is immaculate. The girls are immaculate. We take good care of everything. Mm -hmm. The problem is right now I have girls that have worked, uh, I'm sorry, uh, employees that have worked for me for 30 years. I can't let them go. So for the next three weeks, 21 days, I have to pay their salary. This state, there's 57 counties. Upstate New York, Illy in New York, in Herkimer County, Remington Arms, 204-year-old company, shut down for eight, uh, and there's four cases of the coronavirus in Herkimer County. Why shut the whole state down? I sympathize with the people in the city. Don't get me wrong. I don't go there that often. But right now what's happening...
0: But but you're not talking about not helping the people in the city. I'm not talking about not helping people who need help. We're talking about the rest of it.
5: I understand that. Listen, I just donated. They shut my office down. I donated 1,000 gloves, 250 face masks, and 12 surgical grounds to a hospital in Poughkeepsie. If every dental office has an inventory and did it on their own, you wouldn't have uh, Governor Cuomo. And his problem is... Not that he doesn't get enough money. He's got to stop spending it. They spend it on ridiculous stuff. Exactly.
0: And nobody goes back and says, what the hell have been your priorities since you've been governor? And why didn't you at least think about more ventilators and hospitals and hospital beds and so forth and so on? Truthfully, it is the responsibility of the state. He knows this. He's a a power-hungry guy. And then all I, I hear these press conferences, how brilliant he is. They don't give us enough ventilators. They won't give us enough beds. They won't give us enough masks. They won't give us enough this. Give us enough that. Governor, people are doing everything they can to give our our fellow citizens in New York everything we can, despite your incompetence over the years, despite uh, uh, what DiCamiro was doing over the years. But so something like this isn't as severe. We can't stop them, but isn't as severe. These governors need to take some responsibility in the future and prioritize they talk about healthcare healthcare well prioritize it prioritize it in a real way all right my friend good luck to you thank you anthony much appreciated okay let's see here hillsdale college you know if you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time in your hands these days i know an excellent way to fill it Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature, right in your own home. This is the perfect time. On demand, absolutely free of charge. Now, Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. And now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. This is the time to do it. While many of you are at home, Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. You can use them right now with your kids Go to Levin for Hillsdale L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, Levin for Hillsdale.com. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. We ready? All right, here we go. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done, ZipRecruiter.com Levin. That's L-E-V-I-N. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job sites, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. You can even add screening questions to your job listings so you can filter candidates and focus on the best ones. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, to try ZipRecruiter for free, for free, you and my listeners, you can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-E-V-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin. It's the smartest way to hire. Now listen to Andrew Cuomo, every damn press conference, it's not about leadership, it's about making demands, and he doesn't think that $2.2 trillion is quite enough. Cut five, go.
1: New York State receives $5 billion from the stimulus, New York State government, and it's earmarked only for COVID virus expenses which means it does absolutely nothing for us in terms of lost revenue. Now listen
0: to that. Now listen to that. $5 billion from the federal taxpayer earmarked only to address this virus, which is the whole purpose. And he's saying, but it doesn't address our lost revenue. Have we now reached a point where the federal government has to go deep into debt even further in order to ensure states don't go into debt, don't curb their spending on other matters, don't float their own bonds? This is so out of control, so completely out of control. Again, He's upset that this money's earmarked only for the China virus. What about all the other expenses to the state? Well, what about them? The federal government doesn't have any money. They're just printing this stuff. It's monopoly money. And so Nancy Pelosi said, you know, we may have to do this again and again. Richard Blumenthal, you know, there may have to be a fourth package, even a fifth package. Mitch McConnell's asked about it. He says, well, we'll see. I don't know what's going to do more damage to this country. These so-called economic decisions or this virus. You know, economic dislocation is a horrific thing. Look throughout history. Look at the Great Depression. Look at the photos. Look at the pictures. Everything collapses. Doctors don't go to work. Nurses don't go to work. Hospitals don't function. Uh, Ambulances aren't driven. Medicines aren't available. Look at Venezuela. You destroy an economy, you're going to destroy your civil liberties, and you're going to destroy your constitution because the civil society collapses. This constant pressure to pretend that this isn't real money and to pretend that these are stimulus bills is a disgrace. Now, these governors who shut down their entire states as opposed to specific cities or areas within their states, those decisions not only have medical consequences, for the good, mostly, they have economic consequences. But if they think the fed just print more money, take care of your your balance sheet, there is no countervailing pressure on them. In other words, you're you're not taking all rational information into consideration. You're taking all, all knowledge into consideration and making rational decisions. And so every press conference, you're making demands. We need more ventilators. Not one person yet, despite my being on this for a week, has said to him, but you had a chance to order more ventilators. Why didn't you do that? I mean, we don't expect you to have tens of thousands additional ventilators, but you didn't order thousands of them. Or beds, you say you need 140,000 beds. Well, what was your contribution to them since you've been governor? Why is it that the media don't hold these governors to account? And then I'm told people are focused on the illness, Mark. I'm just responding to the governor. I'm responding to him. And now he's presidential material. Everything's politics all the time. It's disgusting. The funding bill to help people? Politics. Cuomo's the governor of the state right now that's the worst-hit state. We should throw everything we have at this. Not... Not subsidize him. Everything we have at the people to help them. Everything we have. But this, this guy... He's not a leader. He's a whiner. I'll be right back.
2: From the Westwood One Podcast Network.
1: in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin.
0: Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Want to hear something positive? the Daily Caller, Ford... GE and 3M, pulling resources to make ventilators, respirators, and face shields amid coronavirus pandemic. Ford Motor Company, GE Healthcare, by the way, our friend at MyPillow, they're making masks, medical masks. I mean, really, everybody's chipping in here. Ford, GE, and 3M have started pulling their resources together to make ventilators, respirators, face shields to help fight the spread of the coronavirus. We were the arsenal of democracy during the two world wars, Executive Chairman Bill Ford explained during his appearance on the Today Show. We built iron lungs for polio patients. Whenever we're called on, we're there. We're going into our parts bin to see what can be done, he said. We're a very opportunistic company. Ford explained that the project, known internally as Project Apollo, involves several parts to help fight the pandemic. The first involves Ford working with GE on making ventilators to dramatically increase their capability to deliver these in serious numbers per Ford. The second is working with 3M to make air purifiers and respirators. The executive chairman explained, the goal is to increase that company's overall production by six to ten times more than the current rate. The third is working to produce hundreds of thousands of face shields per week. According to the report... It will aid 3M in boosting production of respirator designs 3M is already producing while simultaneously building its own respirators using a makeshift design that includes fans from F-150 pickup seats, hoods from assembly plant paint shops, 3D printed parts, <coughs> excuse me, and portable tool battery packs that could allow the devices to run for up to eight hours. Look at the genius of American business. And then look at the constant attacks on American business. Even in this $2.2 trillion bill. There's stuff in there that's just trashing American industry. It's unbelievable. This is such a critical time for America and the world, Ford shared in his statement. It's a time for action and cooperation. That's good, right? And GM's out there working on the ventilators as well. There's this idea now that our government should have an equity stake in the airlines. You want to talk about socialism? It doesn't get much closer than that. Well, if we're going to give them money or loan them money, excuse me. These industries aren't mismanaged. The airlines were having an unbelievable year. But when businesses are being shut down, commercial flights aren't so commercial anymore. And when people are being told not to travel and to stay at home, it's not airline mismanagement. They haven't done anything wrong. The airline business is a very complicated business. The machinery is very complicated. It's heavily unionized. It's, uh, well, there's a lot of issues there, the cost of the fuel and, And they're dependent on a lot of people. They're dependent on a lot of governments. They're dependent on unions. They're dependent on executives. It's a very, very complicated industry. So in order to save the airlines from what's going on, the government's going to take a stake in them? Is this what I'm hearing, Mr. Beducer? Is this what I'm hearing from Republicans and Democrats from the White House and Congress? What kind of precedent does that send? Well, based on that theory, the government should take a, a percentage interest in our restaurants, in our bars, in our dentist businesses. I mean, go on and on and on with that. Maybe the federal government should take an equity interest in New York and California and, and Washington State. It, it, it's just so counterintuitive to me. I don't know what's happening. I feel like I'm, I'm in this, and maybe I am. It's okay. In my own bubble. Because I can see what's happening and I can see what's going to happen as a consequence. It's pretty, uh, pretty scary. Here we have the Imperial College. You've probably heard of this. Imperial College scientists. Remember they said, just rely on the scientists. Follow the science. Okay, I'm for that. But look at this one. Imperial College scientists who predicted half a million coronavirus deaths in the UK revises it to 20,000 or fewer. A scientist who warned that the coronavirus would kill half a million people, this is from the Washington Examiner, in the United Kingdom has revised the estimate to roughly 20,000. That's kind of a big screw-up, don't you think? Scientist and Imperial College author Neil Ferguson said Wednesday that the coronavirus death toll is unlikely to exceed 20,000 and could be much lower. According to New Scientist publication, he added that he is reasonably confident that Britain's healthcare system can handle the burden of treating the coronavirus patients. The Imperial College, sounds so, well, imperial, had previously warned of modeling that suggested over half a million would die from the virus. This is a remarkable turn for Ferguson who led the Imperial College authors who warned of half a million UK deaths and who has now himself tested positive for the virus. Former New York Times reporter Alex Berenson wrote on Twitter. And then I've pointed out and now it's cited here in the Daily Caller, Stanford scientists recently wrote an opinion article suggesting that more information is needed before settling on a coronavirus mortality rate and posited that mass quarantines aren't necessary aren't necessarily rather the most logical answer to combining the virus. They said a lot more than that actually. They said these numbers are bloated. They're just way out of control in terms of the deaths. And so now what's happening on T V and magazine, they're the finger of blame. I'm only responding to Cuomo. We need more birds. We need more. And the people in New York should be furious with him. Furious with him. Because you're only hearing half the story at these press conferences. Man, he's a guy who's on top of it. He's watching it. He knows what he's doing. But you should have thousands of more ventilators. Not enough necessarily, but thousands more. You should have thousands more beds, not enough necessarily for a pandemic, for thousands more. And if I were a liberal or Cuomo, I would say, tell me, governor, how did you choose which people would die? Isn't that the line he used about the federal government? I know you understand what I'm saying. And again, I want to make the point, yes, this is a serious virus. And serious thinking needs to be done. And I believe more and more it is. Now, can I change the subject completely? May I please? This makes me very happy. Washington Free Beacon. The Trump administration indicts Venezuela's Maduro for drug and gun trafficking. Adam Credo. The Trump administration announced today it is indicting Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro and 14 of his government officials for narco-terrorism and drug trafficking. You know, I remember when the Reagan administration, maybe it was Bush, 41, not only indicted the so-called president, he was the uh, dictator general of Panama, but I remember we went in there and we got him tried him, and put him in a federal prison. I think it was in the Miami area. You guys don't know about that, do you, Mr. Producer? We went in and got this guy. He was the general. Noriega was his name, as I recall. Because he was drug trafficking in the United States, too. But this is very, very good. The surprise indictment unveiled by the Justice Department alleges that Maduro and his allies engaged in narco-terrorism conspiracy to export cocaine and weapons into the United States. The Trump administration has been seeking to depose the dictator for months, alleging he stole the country's 2019 elections from Democratic reformer Juan Giotto. And I'll tell you what's interesting. The Democratic socialists in our country, you know, Bernie Sanders and his ilk. They used to defend this guy outright. Now they defend him by their silence. They're too busy trying to depose Trump rather than depose Maduro. Now, the charges leveled against Maduro and his allies carry more than 50 years of mandatory prison time. You know, I've got to say, Bill Barr is one of the greatest attorneys general of modern times. I feel I worked for the greatest, Ed Meese. And there have been many good ones and many lousy ones. But Attorney General Barr is exceptional particularly a second time around. Absolutely exceptional. I have nothing but tremendous respect for this man. I'm so deeply proud of him. When we come back, I want to change the subject one more time into something that is absolutely, in my view, incredible. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. I'm going to tell you something that's true, (laughs) that's fantastic and amazing at the same time. For those of you who listen to this show regularly, you know, we focus so much of our time on the United States, but we keep an eye on Israel, too. Israel, the homeland of the birth of Judaism and Christianity, it's important to keep an eye. Well, you know, been a lot of tumult there, as we say. Benjamin Netanyahu, in his Likud party coalition, had enough votes for 58 members of the Knesset, but you need 61. There's a party that formed called the Blue and White Party. So this was the third election. And really, the purpose of the parties, it turns out, was to try and defeat Netanyahu. The head of that party is a guy by the name of Gantz. Or as they say there, Gantz. Anyway, he's a former IDF chief of staff, a general. They have a habit over there in Israel. A lot of these generals turn out to be quite liberal. I can't explain it, but there you have it. Uh, Gantz's party and coalition really was very relatively small, unless you added in the Arab parties. They call them the Arab List, the Arab List of Parties. And here's the thing every one of those parties opposes the very existence of the State of Israel. So when Gantz was running, he said, Vote for me. I'm not going to let any of these parties in the government. Don't worry. I just need their support to become prime minister. So they have a very relatively poor showing, very disappointing showing this last election, early March. And so Gantz and his party then embraced the Arab parties. Then there's this other guy, Lieberman. He's a Russian Jew, and a lot of the Russian immigrants who are Jewish in Israel kind of back him but he was formerly Likud, formerly in Netanyahu's government. It gets complicated, but I'll get to the, to the happy ending in a minute. But he's hold, held out because he hates Netanyahu. A lot of people think he's corrupt. I don't know if he's corrupt or not. There's been a lot of investigations swirling around that guy. But he's never been charged with anything. So you had this weird thing, this, uh, and he's a secularist, the secular nationalists, of which there were about seven seats, the anti-Israel Arab parties, of which there were about 15, give or take, and this blue and white party that has essentially as its purpose no fundamental principles but to get rid of Netanyahu. Well, something remarkable happened in the last 24 hours. Gantz got together with Netanyahu, and they're forming a unity government, and it already started. The Blue and White Party has now effectively dissolved. The deputy leader of that party is a guy by the name of Lapide. He's a liberal, and he's a reprobate. And he's very angry now with Gantz. So the deal is that Netanyahu will remain prime minister for another 18 months, a year and a half, at which time Gantz presumably would take the role. And also in the meantime, Gantz would be uh, the speaker of the Knesset. They can hold more than one job there, which is kind of remarkable, really. And the foreign minister, our equivalent, of course, of secretary of state. Another member of the Blue and White Party, who happens to be a fairly conservative member of the Blue and White Party, who did not want the Arab parties involved in their coalition, still of the Blue and White, former Likud or a Likud type, he will be the defense minister. And so uh, they've brought in uh, Likud, they brought in some of these what were blue and white types. They brought in some of the Labor Party. They brought in uh, the religious parties. And it looks like they're about to have a government. And so Gantz was just voted in as the Speaker of the Knesset. So the process is, is underway. He'll serve as Foreign Minister for 18 months under the terms of this reported deal. Netanyahu will serve as Prime Minister for 18 months. And so there's an interesting point here that I wanted to raise as well. The legal community and legal system in Israel is utterly out of control. The courts are out of control. The attorney general is out of control. The police who work for the attorney general and prosecutors, they're out of control. Basically, the courts run the country. The Supreme Court in particular, they get involved in all these political decisions and disputes among the parties and candidates, which our courts at least try not to. And, of course, they're extremely liberal. And one of the things Netanyahu's been trying to do, and I guess we'll have to put it off for a while, is to get his hands around this this force and to break it up so Israel is more of a, of a parliamentary democracy than a uh, judicial and legal tyranny. And that's one of the reasons this attorney general, the prosecutors... The investigators in the courts have been so hostile to Netanyahu. He's trying to actually bring the state of Israel back to, to, to what it was expected to be. So here's my question. They've got the coronavirus spreading throughout their, st- their country. They now have a unity government, finally, after three elections. It's taken more than a year, really. And so what's this attorney general going to do? Go forward with his bogus charges against the prime minister? Now that he heads a unity government in the middle of a crisis, what are these courts in Israel going to do? Break up the government now? Pretty remarkable. Netanyahu is an absolute genius. He was counted out and counted out and counted out. Absolute genius. He also got more votes than anybody else, so he should be the prime minister. I'll be right back.
1: The only show with a warning label, for Liberals. The Mark Levin Show. Call him now at 877 3811
0: By the way, you still there, Mr. Producer? By the way, ladies and gentlemen, um, just to be accurate, this Gantz would be resigning as the Speaker of the Knesset shortly to move over to a foreign minister. Uh, And then a Likud member would would be elected, perhaps the one that was there before, as the Speaker of the House, not to complicate matters. Here's here's the bottom line also. Apparently this blue and white uh, party did internal polling. And you know what they found? If there's another election, what they found is that Netanyahu would win a majority flat out in his coalition. They wouldn't need Gantz. They wouldn't need any of them. So it's not that this guy Gantz is... uh, is is acting in an earnest way altogether. I think he says, you know, look, we're going to have a fourth election. We're going to get blown out. We won't have any say in this government. Plus, we're facing this virus. It's time to end this. Fourth election. And the reason he would have gotten blown out, among many reasons, is because of his betrayal of his promise not to bring the Arabs into his party or into a government, rather. Now, this does have effects on what the president has been doing with respect to the Middle East peace plan in a positive way, a positive way. That is, Netanyahu can go forward. He may have to go forward in a different way, but he he can go forward with uh, preserving much of Judea and Samaria and the Jordan Valley, which has historically uh, belonged to the... uh, Jewish people, and uh, and the vast majority of Jerusalem. Anyway, every now and then we have to discuss something else, don't we? I think so. How about some callers? I think so. Let's go to Phil, Tampa, Florida, listening on the great WSKY in Gainesville. Go right ahead, sir. Phil, you're on the air, brother. Go right ahead.
6: All right, man. First off, I need to say everybody just needs to take a deep breath, collect your thoughts a little bit, exhale, and calm down. Uh, I retired and moved down to Florida, uh, was an independent small business operator, and my whole life was concerned around cash flow. And the thing that I'm seeing with this whole deal with shutting down the government is that the small... Business-
0: uh, 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 uh. We're not shutting down the government, but go ahead. Well, I'm not shutting down the
6: government. But we shut down the uh, economy, let's say. And cash flow was the most important thing to a small businessman.
0: If you Sir, had- I don't have all night. I'd love your lecture. Get to your bottom line. Go ahead.
6: But if you had cash flow, you could stay open. You could employ people. You could improve yourself. <laughs> It would move on in life, okay? But as far as handing out money to everybody, anybody that's a small business realizes that if you borrow money or you get money from somewhere, you're going to pay it back.
0: Yes, and okay. number two, much of this cash flow, according to this bill, has to go toward the retention or hiring of employees. So let me ask you a question, a rational question as a businessman. Are you in business to hire employees or are you in business to be in business?
6: You're in business to make money.
0: And then hire employees, right? Right, in other words, in other words, you've got to make money, then you'll make decisions about who you hire, what you pay, what benefits they get, what you're going to invest in r and d uh or if you have a small restaurant, how you're going to run it. Nobody goes in business to hire employees. You go in business to run a business, and employment is part of it. so what's troubling to me about a lot of this is exactly what my dentist said to me. You're going to be spending a great deal of your time trying to figure out if you take these loans how to support people who aren't working because your governors have shut down for instance your restaurant. So that doesn't operating? sound that doesn't sound mighty productive to me.
6: No, it's not. Cuz when you're in business you want to satisfy your customer, you want to make them happy. If you need to hire more people to keep those people happy so that they keep coming back to you to give you their business,
0: you will hire more people.
6: But if you're not a good business and people aren't coming to you, you don't hire as many people.
0: And by the way, let me ask you this. I think they know this won't work because they wouldn't be talking about a fourth and fifth stimulus when they haven't even passed this one yet, right? Exactly.
6: And the thing is, the country doesn't need a stimulus. It just needs enough to get by on for right now until we get back to business.
0: That's right. That's exactly right. 2.2 $2 trillion. It's a lot of money to do what you need to do. A lot more than there was necessary. Thank you for your call, my friend. Anytime Congress is asked to make a decision, this is what happens. It's really It's really awful the amount of pork, the amount of agenda items here and they're going to come back a fourth and fifth time and when McConnell was asked about it, he says, "We'll see." The answer is no, Mitch. The answer is that's enough, Mitch. I don't get it. Why do we get it and they don't? Elaine, New Rochelle, New York, the great WABC. Go. Now that's the EPA of epicenters. Go ahead.
7: Yes, hello. Thank you very much for taking Mm -hmm. my call. Um, I wanted to bring to your attention and the listeners' attention what is about to happen in new york uh with respect to nursing homes and uh the governor has ordered that all nursing homes must accept uh covid positive patients that are actually uh, potentially still infectious into um into their facilities and this will um put our residents our long-term care population Wait, but, but, but
0: are you, is this are you pulling my leg seriously no. Why would you send somebody who has this virus into a population that can kill people? Thank you. No, no. Are well, you serious? I, mean, I am serious. Well why, well, why would he order this? I don't. It doesn't make any sense.
7: Memo. Well, because because the hospitals. Well, first of all, in you know, I, I will uh, point out that nursing homes are in the habit of accepting patients from hospitals to continue their care after their- They
0: may be in the habit, but they must realize now that the most vulnerable people among us are senior citizens. And nursing homes, these are people that have issues. And so I'm trying to understand uh, the point of this. What is the point of this?
7: I'm looking at a directive from Andrew Cuomo and Howard Zucker dated March 25th that is ordering nursing homes. It says nursing homes must comply with the expedited receipt of residents uh, from hospitals. They are deemed appropriate to go into the nursing homes by the hospitals and we cannot discriminate based on the presence of COVID. And that's it. And that's how he's been managing this crisis. He has been dictating. He's been sending out memorandum and orders and executive orders. And there has been no coordination uh, on the ground level here. I'm speaking from Westchester and New Rochelle. Just uh, we, we had the first COVID positive right. case in New York. And uh, we were uh, for a time the epicenter. And now, of course, it's shifted a little south of us. But um Basically, as you know, the hospitals are overwhelmed. They want to discharge patients somewhere else so they can take in new patients. And um, that's what the governor has ordered. Now, our um, National Association of Nursing Home Medical Directors, uh, when I sent this memorandum uh, to them, uh, has issued a statement saying that this is extremely dangerous unsafe, that it will increase the risk of transmission in nursing homes, and we all learned from Washington how catastrophic that is. Um, It will uh, destabilize the facilities, uh, potentially increase the flow back into hospitals, overwhelm capacity, endanger healthcare personnel, and escalate the death rate. So, um, But you can't get through to anybody down here. Uh, you can't. You can't talk to anybody. We don't. We don't have support. There's nobody coordinating the response at this level. At, at certainly at the county level, and I know from my prior. Have, life,
0: have you have you given this information to local media?
7: That's why I'm calling you.
0: But I'm not local and media. Yes, have you given yes. this information – Hold on now. To information, these reporters show up at these press events, uh, where Cuomo does these, uh, you know. Kind of dance, song and dance moves there, always demanding that somebody else do something else. This needs to be in the hands of a reporter who is at that conference in Albany and reads it to him and asks him how he can explain this.
7: Yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, it's not my line of work, but I got it to, uh, we got this information to the Wall Street Journal who published uh, something today. So that's the first thing, the uh, first time we've got it out to the media, and you know it's not what we generally. So, do. so
0: in other words, it's available for all these cable stars and all these uh, reporters at the uh, New York Daily News and the New York Times and the rest of them. They know it's out there.
7: Well, if they read that article, I don't know who else picked up on the story. We we got it; it was published today in the Wall Street Journal, one article so um now now our executive um organization the executive director in this afternoon issued the statement uh you know stating that our organization was against this if if
0: we wanted to find that do you know what, where would we go to find the link
7: i can send it to you but it's uh it's the american medical directors association it has a uh, a longer um, name that I'll give you in a moment, and I'm sure it's on its website. You might have to be a member to get it, but we, we can get it to you uh, through our executive director. Um, the, it's the Society for Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine. J- just
0: go on my Facebook site and post it. Post the link. Okay. All right? Mark Levin yes. Show Facebook or Mark Levin Show Twitter, either one.
7: Yes. And then the, and then the and whole we'll country
0: get- can look at it and draw conclusions from it.
7: And I just wanna say if I could, you know, nursing homes and the and people that work at nursing homes are, are such a dedicated group of professionals. Oh yes. Yes and, and we really wanna help. But
0: So you're have, a doctor?
7: I'm a medical director. I'm a physician medical and medical director. Okay. I'm both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm an administrative medical director plus a you know, a clinician.
0: Okay. And
7: um, our our home is a wonderful facility, but you know, it's 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 gonna affect all area nursing homes any minute now. Well,
0: and if this is if this is right, this is exactly the wrong thing that you that he's doing.
7: Yeah, I mean, understand, and he's he's backed himself into a corner here, and and all of this should have been planned out, as I believe you. Uh, you, it, I've talked
0: it, about it over and over and over again. That look, you can never be fully prepared for these things, but you could be better prepared, <clears throat> and since these things are really. The states want to control their hospitals, their beds, their ventilators, their MRIs, their CTs, their uh, medical institutions and so forth, and they do. And so the question is, he's been there some time now, why didn't he at least prioritize uh, health services in case there's a pandemic? He was aware of it. There's been reports put out that New York is uh, sorely unprepared. He's had opportunities to, to order significantly more beds and ventilators over the years, but he hasn't done it.
7: He hasn't. Not only that, he's closed. I mean, in my neighborhood... And you're
0: telling me you can't even get to him?
7: Oh, we can't get to anybody. You can't get to anybody. There's supposed to be somebody at the county level.
0: Oh wait a minute. He keeps putting out phone numbers and websites during his press conferences. You are the medical director of a nursing home. This order goes out and you can't reach anybody.
7: Can't reach anybody. And and not only that, there's supposed to be someone at the county level that's yeah. coordinating. Let's say, I mean, I it is not a good I only idea. have thirty seconds. All right. Uh there's no coordination of the response here in Westchester. It's just a series of directives. He's behaving like a dictator. Uh executive director's
0: orders for Well, the he party. wanted Trump to nationalized businesses. All right, listen, doctor, I appreciate your call. Go ahead and post those, and we would appreciate it, too, so we can take a look at it. And the best of luck to you. We'll be right back.
1: Mark Levin.
0: AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong. Well, I hope you're uh, not so much enjoying, but uh, really tuned into this program over the last several weeks. Uh, I just want you to know God's honest truth. I am scouring for information and research to make sense of these various things morning, noon, and night. I don't sleep very much. My poor wife can attest to that. I do it for us, all of us. You no know, online shopping supposed to be easy, and there's a hell of a lot of it right now, including by you, right? So why is finding coupon codes that actually work? Why is that so hard? With Honey, that's the name. With Honey, it doesn't have to be. Please listen to this. Honey is the free, I said free, online shopping tool that automatically finds the best promo, the best promo codes, and applies them to your cart. Just download Honey to your computer and shop on all your favorite websites like normal. And then when you check out, you just click the little Apply Coupons button that pops up. Now, what do they do? You wait a few seconds for Honey to scan its database, its massive database of all the working coupons on the web. Then you watch your price drop, and it's free to you. Honey works on nearly every online store. For instance, Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Macy's, Etsy, And many more. Honey has found over $2 billion in savings. That's why it has over 100,000 five-star reviews on Google Chrome Store. This was made for you. This was made for you in this time. Not using Honey is literally passing up free money. Plus, as I said, I want to emphasize, it's free to use. And installs in a few seconds. Here's what you do. May I recommend you do it right now? Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash Levin. That's joinhoney.com slash L-E-V-I-N, joinhoney.com slash Levin. This is a tremendous service, especially since so many of you are on the Internet right now. We need to move quickly. Rosemary, Carrie, North Carolina on the Mark Levin app. You've got 40 seconds. Go.
4: Oh, no. Hi, Mark. Hey, I wanted to say two things, but I guess I'm only going to be able to say one. So, first of all, I thank God for you every single day. Oh,
3: thank
4: you. uh, Seriously. You can ask my husband. Um, I rely on you so much for the vital information that you provide to us every night, Um, especially this morning when I was forced to listen to Nancy Pelosi again, peddling her manipulation lies to the American public. Well, thanks to you, we're not as stupid as she thinks Listen we are. to
0: me. You waited two hours. I really apologize. Please try and get in tomorrow, and I cannot thank you enough for your overly generous compliments. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, doctors, nurses, everybody, lab technicians, all of you folks who are helping us solve this problem. God bless each and every one of you, and I'll see you tomorrow.